0: Would you open up your Bibles with me? And let's look together at the book of Exodus in chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We are coming again into the wilderness of Horeb. Um, we're at a mountain, a mountain that we know as, as Sinai. I love the hymns we sing this morning, and I outdid my throat trying to sing them. Excuse me. Uh, This place where Moses is, in our day, in 2014, uh, this place is a part of the country of Egypt. Uh, But in the days of Moses, this place where Moses is was not a part of Egypt. It was a land called Midian. And so he's here at Mount Sinai In the land of Midian, he's east of Egypt. If you can picture a map, he's south of Canaan. Here he is, 80 years old, and he's having a conversation. And he's having a conversation with God. God has spoken out of a burning bush, taken Moses by surprise, gripped his attention, and God is calling this husband, this father, this shepherd of sheep, He's calling him to go to Egypt and to lead the Hebrew slaves out of their slavery. This morning, we're going to listen into this conversation. And we're going to hear God telling Moses with more detail what exactly it is he's supposed to do. What is God calling Moses to do? And we're going to hear these orders that God gives to Moses. And so we're going to pick up in verse 16. Verse 16, Exodus 3, beginning in verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up. Out of the affliction of Egypt, to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So here we have the orders that God gives to Moses. Particularly, Moses is to deliver two messages. He's to deliver a message to the Israelites, and he's to deliver a message to Pharaoh. And so what I want us to do this morning is look at those one at a time. So first note that Moses is to deliver a message to the Israelites. But Moses is not to go to Egypt and gather all of the Israelites together to hear this message. Some estimates say that there were as many as 2 million Israelites in Egypt at this point. Even if that number is too high as some think, there were certainly far more Israelites in Egypt for Moses to be able to speak and for all of them to be able to hear him. So he's not to gather all of Israel together. Rather, God tells Moses to gather the elders of Israel. Moses is going to speak to the people of Israel through their leaders and through those leaders, the rest of the people would hear Um, Let's just take a moment to note that all the way back here in Exodus chapter 3, we see the value of representative leadership. We see in this passage how helpful and wise it can be to have leaders who represent a people and speak for them and speak to them. And it's worth pointing out this pattern here, because it becomes the same pattern that God establishes for His churches in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see that churches, congregations, are to be led by a plurality of elders, a plurality of pastors, who not only care for God's people, but are able to represent their people and speak for that church when it is necessary. So, for example, in the first centuries of Christianity, there were several times when very serious false teachings were begin to, beginning to wreak havoc on churches. And it was through representatives of the churches being sent together to form councils that they were able to meet, make decisions, and the gospel was preserved and the people of God were protected. Um, still today, denominations like the Southern Baptist Convention operate this way. There are representatives of each church that come together representing the people at an annual meeting. And they speak for the church and they get to come back and speak to the church. Uh, this passage, interestingly enough, we, we just read it and gloss over it like it's something small. Um, but in researching for this sermon, it turns out this passage was important in bringing about the kind of government we have here in the United States. That people noted that Moses didn't go directly to the people, but went to their elders, their leaders, their representatives. Uh, Back in the 1600s, a Scottish Presbyterian pastor named Samuel Rutherford wrote a book called Lex Rex. And our Latin scholars in here know those words. Lex Rex, it means the law is king. And what that book did is it went through the Bible and observed how over and over again God appoints representative bodies to govern. And that book became highly influential. Uh, Rick Phillips says this about that book. He says, This book surveyed the form of government seen in the Bible and argued that people should be governed by representatives organized in a hierarchy of lesser and greater ruling bodies. So, just as the people of Israel were organized into families, clans, tribes, and the nation, so also Americans are governed by cities and towns, counties, states, and the federal government. In this covenantal system of representative government, Differing authority is assigned to each level, and the people are defended from the tyranny of higher governments by the power of the local governments. This was, in fact, Rick Phillips says, the biblical rationale for America's war for independence. The colony's rebellion against a tyrannical king was justly conducted under the authority of the lesser magistrates who were fulfilling their biblical duty to protect the rights of the people. And so while we might just read right over this verse, it turns out that verses like this have had a great deal of impact in bringing us even to the day that we're at today. And it is voting season. Don't forget to vote. Don't forget to be salt and light in the community by seeking to... Uh, bring into leadership people who will represent us well and will craft policies that will care for God's people and God's church. We also see in this passage that we are to show respect to those who are in authority. Remember, God could have called Moses to bypass the elders of Israel. He could have told Moses, don't worry about the elders of Israel, go directly to the people, but that's not what God does. God commands Moses to go to the elders first. Speak to them first. And it's a reminder that our God is a God of decency, a God of order. We live in a culture that was built on revolution. Uh, We live in a country that was built on the, the overthrow of authority. And so there is something in the American spirit that values rebellion, there's something in the American spirit that values pushing back against authority. But at the end of the day, we need to remember that authority is a gift from God. God uses those he puts in authority to serve our welfare. Authority can be abused. But when authority is wielded in a decent way, it reaps benefits for those who are under that authority. And our culture... More and more, the truly rebellious people are those who actually embrace, submitting to good and lawful authority. And so we as Christians need to learn this lesson. We are to respect the authorities that God has placed in our lives. So Moses is going to go to the authorities. He's going to go to the elders who are representing the people of Israel, who are governing the people of Israel. They're in Goshen in the land of Egypt. What is Moses to tell them? What's he to say to them? Well, here is the message that God gave him. The Lord, notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Notice three parts of what Moses is to say to these Israelite elders. First, he's to announce God's name. This is what we looked at last week, the name of God. Moses is to speak God's name to these elders, the name that appears in our Bibles with all caps. It is the name Yahweh, Jehovah, I am who I am. This is the name that had been lost. But now Moses is going to come announcing this name telling the elders that this is the God of their fathers. This is the God that their father Abraham worshipped, their father Isaac worshipped, their father Jacob worshipped. And he has now, just as he spoke back then, now he has spoken again. Second, notice that Moses' message to these elders is to include God's concern for Israel. God's concern. God says, tell them that I have observed them. I have seen what Egypt is doing to my people Israel. Uh, The word in, in Hebrew could be translated this way. God has carefully paid attention to what the Egyptians have been doing to Israel. Think about why this was so important for these elders to hear. They've been in Egypt for 400 years These elders very well might be thinking that the God of Abraham doesn't care for them anymore. Abraham was a long time ago. What does his God have to do with us now? They might be thinking after all these centuries, after all of our crying out to God, out of all of our pleas and prayers and sacrifices, we're still in bondage. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't see. And God says, tell them I have seen And I'm about to do something about it. And then number three, Moses' message is to include this promise. God will bring Israel out of the affliction of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. I think the most important word in that whole statement is the word will. God doesn't say, I may do this. God doesn't say, I might do that. Moses is to stand before the elders of Israel who are themselves slaves to the Egyptians. And he's to say, as God's ambassador, God has decreed, He will bring you out of Egypt into the promised land. This was a rock-solid promise. And you know what? It better be a rock-solid promise or these men are not going to act on this. Because think about what God is calling these men to do. Talk more about that in a minute. Let me give you three lessons. Let me give you three lessons that I see from what Moses says to the elders of Israel. Number one, let us learn that God responds to the prayers of his people. Sometimes the answers come later than we would have liked. Sometimes the answers come later than we would have preferred, but God hears and answers the prayers of His people. Certainly there had been some in Israel over the last 400 years who had been praying for God's deliverance, and some of those people had lived and died and never seen God answer their prayer. Now, over the last 40 years, we're told that a new resurgence of prayer and crying out to God had come about, We saw that at the end of chapter 2, that all of a sudden the people of Israel were groaning because of their slavery. It had worsened, and they began to turn to God again. They're, They're crying out for God's help in a new and fresh way. And we're told that their cry to be rescued from slavery was coming up to God. Why is God now speaking to this shepherd out of a burning bush? It's because His people have been praying. He is answering their prayers right now. He is in the process of answering their prayers even as he's speaking to Moses. Moses is to come to these men with God's answer to the prayers of Israel. The time of deliverance has come. Mount Hermon, are we a people of steadfast, consistent, persistent prayer? Or are we wimpy prayers? Right? The, the wimpy prayer will we'll pray to God a few times, and when God doesn't seem to respond quickly, they, they give up. This Christian becomes disgruntled, frustrated, discontented, right? I've been praying, God's not answering. That Christian begins to turn to other things. Well, if God's not going to help, let me see if I can make it work myself. This Christian begins to give up on God. Put simply, this is the Christian whose faith is wimpy, too wimpy to maintain the hard work of continually bringing something to God day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. But the strong Christian perseveres in prayer, even when God doesn't immediately answer. The strong Christian knows there's a reason for God's delay, The strong Christian knows that God does a wonderful work of making us humble and holy as we persist in wrestling with Him, crying out to Him over a long period of time. God does His child good as that child learns to wrestle with God in prayer over months and years. And then, when the answer finally comes, how sweet it is. There is a depth of joy and a depth of fellowship with God that this Christian will know that the wimpy prayer who gave up so quickly will never, ever know. Mount Hermon, let us be faithful in prayer. Let us be persistent. God will answer in His own time. And when He does, as with Israel and Egypt, we may find that His answer is breathtaking and His answer is wonderful. Second lesson, let us learn from Moses' message to the Israelite elders that God's promises to us call for faith. Did you notice that? God's promises to us call for faith. God is giving these elders a promise, I will bring you out of Egypt. But now he's calling on them to believe it and to act on that promise. He's calling on these elders to go with Moses to stand before Pharaoh and to request for Israel to leave the land. Think about how dangerous this was going to be for these elders. Think about how risky this was to stand before the most powerful man in the ancient world. If they don't believe this promise of God, this is going to sound to them like a suicide mission. But God says to them, I will deliver you, therefore go with Moses Bring this request to Pharaoh. And through their action, his promise is going to come true. Mount Hermon, we need to understand that's exactly how it is with us. God gives us promises through Jesus. He promises us. He's going to bring us safely to heaven. But we must respond to that promise with faith, and that faith will always show itself in action. We are not to sit back in our lazy boys and say, Well, I'm going to heaven. God promised. No. God promised He would bring you to heaven and He gave you commands that you're to trust Him enough to obey through which He's going to bring you to heaven. You must repent and keep on repenting. And as you repent, He's going to be bringing you to heaven. You're to be trusting Jesus and continuing to trust Jesus. You're to live a life of action, taking God at his word, doing what he says. And as you do these things through faith, God is going to save you, make you like Jesus, bring you safely to heaven. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were looking at the commands of Christian fellowship. How God says, I keep my people saved, but let me tell you how I keep my people saved. I command them to be around one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, and as they obey that command, I'm working to keep them believing. And so when God gives us promises, we're to receive those promises with faith that move us to take action. And then number three, let us remember that God's promises are rock solid just as God said I will bring Israel out of Egypt he has said to us I will bring my people into heaven there are no maybes in God's promise to us God has not said to you if you will follow Jesus you might make it that's not what he said What he said is, if you repent of your sins and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Romans 10, quoting from the book of Joel, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can bank on it. You can count on it. If you take God at His word, He will prove Himself faithful to you. Your own parents might deceive you. Your own children might deceive you. The people you trust most in this world might deceive you. God will never deceive you. Never. So trust Him. His promises are rock solid. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Okay, now let's look at the second message. The message that Moses, with these elders with him, They're to go before Pharaoh and deliver a message. Notice something here that must have been very comforting to Moses. God tells Moses ahead of time that the elders of Israel, they are going to listen to him. He tells Moses, he says, they will listen to you and they will go with you to Pharaoh. So put yourself in the shoes of Moses, right? He hasn't been in Egypt in 40 years it's not like he's you know, real close to these elders. It's not like they're his friends and he knows them well. Right? No, but when he was in Egypt 40 years ago, that relationship was not a good relationship. And now he's been gone 40 years. And he's going to come back and say, hey, let's go stand before Pharaoh and see if he'll let us go. There's every reason to see why Moses was thinking, this will never work, God. These elders of Israel, they're never going to listen to me. And God says, they will. They will listen to you. And the only thing we can do with that is chalk it up to the sovereign work of God and moving their hearts to believe and to do what he said. Okay, so Moses and these elders come to Pharaoh. What are they going to say? You might be a little surprised at this. The first message that God tells Moses to deliver to Pharaoh is not, Pharaoh, let my people go. It's not the first message. Here is the message that Moses and the elders are to deliver to Pharaoh. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. It's not, Pharaoh, we're going to Canaan. That's not the message, not at the beginning. It's, can we have a three-day retreat as a nation to sacrifice to our God? What do we do with that? Why were they only asking Pharaoh for a few days off to worship God in the wilderness? What about asking for their freedom? What about demanding their freedom? Well, before I tell you the, the main way that Christians have understood this passage, I want to mention a different view that I think is worth our consideration. Um, Doug Stewart's commentary on Exodus is a fantastic commentary. Um, I am a nerd when it comes to commentaries. I purchased that commentary years ago just to read it for fun, and it's, it's worth it. I mean, it's, it's a great commentary. It's very helpful, very interesting. But on this passage, Doug Stewart's view is different than than most. He argues that asking for three days to go into the wilderness and worship God was a very gentle and polite way of asking for Israel's freedom. I want to read for you what he says. You consider, see if it's convincing to you, and then I'll tell you what the traditional view is. Stewart says this. He says, we must appreciate the way many people in Eastern societies, including those of the ancient Near East, have preferred to use suggestive, gentle, restrained, and limited ways of making request, as opposed to simply coming right out and asking for what they wanted. There are few analogies in North American or Western culture, but the following examples might be illustrative. Would you please hand me the remote is actually a way of saying, I'm going to control what we watch, if you don't mind. Likewise, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? Usually means, Dad, may I use the car for the next several hours, which means, of course, you're not going to have access to it, Dad. Also, um, how much money do you have on you? Is actually a way of indicating, I'd like to borrow some money from you. In particular, English-speaking cultures do this sort of thing with requests for time. Have you got a second? Is not literally a request for a second. It's a way of saying, I'd like to spend some time with you for a few moments. Uh, He'll be with you in a moment is not literally true. It means keep waiting. Eventually, he's coming. Right? So in these expressions, the amount of time literally stated is minuscule compared to the amount of time actually experienced. Well, Stuart says, this is how let us take a three-day journey functions in the speech of Moses and the elders to Pharaoh. The time requested is minuscule compared to the time actually expected. Three-day journey, Stuart says, was an idiom in the ancient world for a major trip with formal consequences. Pharaoh would have heard it that way. He would have known that they were asking actually for far more than a 3 days journey. And that was why he refused. Moreover, the demand for the people to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God was another way of implying, without quite so many words, that the people were going to leave Egypt since, as develops later, the Israelites expect to worship Yahweh far from Egypt on Mount Sinai, completely out of and free from Egyptian oversight. Pharaoh's continuing resistance to the demands of Yahweh must be read in this light. He knew from the start that the Israelites were not merely asking for three days off from work. They were asking to migrate from Egypt. So that's Stuart's view. He says, actually, this is a way of asking Pharaoh, let us go. But it's a gentle way. Now, I don't know enough about Egyptian culture, ancient Near East, to know whether that's right or wrong. So I just bring it to you. Let me tell you the traditional view. The traditional view is that we should take this request literally. That God really does want Moses and the elders to go before Pharaoh and to simply ask for a three-day journey. We do have some archaeological evidence that ancient nations would sometimes let enslaved peoples leave for a period of time to worship their God and then come back. And what we have here is God showing patience, And forbearance and tenderness towards Pharaoh. God does not begin with the hard command. God does not demand by coming to Pharaoh and saying, Let your entire enslaved force of city builders go. That's not what he says. God begins with the easier command. In fact, if you look closely, it's not even a command, it's a gentle request. The request is not to come from God directly, it's to come indirectly. Moses and the elders are to come before the most powerful man in the ancient world, so picture yourself before a mighty king, picture yourself with a request before the president or someone like that, and they're to come and they're to say, our God has commanded us to go out and worship. See, it's not a direct command to Pharaoh, it's to say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, our God commanded us to go and worship. Will you give us permission to leave And go worship. And don't miss this, it's clear in the ESV. God actually commands the elders to say, please. To say, please. What's the lesson there? I think it's that God is far more gracious and tender towards his enemies than they often realize. God is slow to anger. He doesn't start out with swarms of locusts and hail falling from the sky. That's not where this begins. It begins with God giving Pharaoh a real opportunity to do the right thing. And it's only as people rebel against God and act in sin against God that he begins to up the ante more and more until he humbles them to the place where they're willing to acknowledge him. On the last day... No one will be able to say that God is being unjust and condemning them to hell. As with Pharaoh, God will be able to show how he was slow to anger. How he was patient with them, full of patience. But they would not turn and they would not listen. I wonder if there's anyone in this room who is hardening their heart against God. Is there anyone here who is continuing to refuse God's offer of salvation? Are you refusing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Dear friends, do not abuse God's patience towards you. He's being gracious. He's given you an opportunity to repent. He's given you the breath in your lungs. He's given you the strength in your body. He's brought you to this place on this day. He's being merciful to you. Don't follow in Pharaoh's footsteps. Oh, Pharaoh's going to have so many opportunities to do the right thing. So many opportunities. And just as God told Moses ahead of time how the elders would respond, he also goes ahead and tells Moses ahead of time how Pharaoh's going to respond. He tells Moses, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, Pharaoh's not going to let the people of God go unless compelled by a mighty hand. God is going to have to compel Pharaoh. In Mount Hermon, God has a mighty hand of compulsion. For those who harden themselves in rebellion against God, God has His ways of bringing His enemies to their knees. God doesn't tell Moses all about the details of how He's going to do it, but He simply tells Moses, I'm going to perform wonders. And He declares that through His mighty hand, Pharaoh will give in. At first he's not going to listen, Moses, but I'm going to do mighty wonders. I'm going to compel him, and he will let the people go. And then there's more. The wonders that God will perform will be of such a nature that the Egyptians will actually hand over to the Israelites their valuables. Now certainly everything that God has been telling Moses so far has been testing the faith of Moses. Are these elders really going to listen? Will Pharaoh really have such a change of heart that he's going to let his entire enslaved force go? God is really testing the faith of Moses. But here's the cherry on top of it all. It almost sounds insane. God says, before you leave, Israelite women are going to be able to go to Egyptian women and say, can I have your jewelry? And they're going to say yes and give it to them. And in that way, Israel is going to plunder the Egyptians. It won't be through some sort of bloody battle in which Israelites take up swords and spears and fight the Egyptians. These treasures are not going to be forcibly stolen from the Egyptians. Instead, God promises that the Egyptians will have been so humbled by Him that they're going to say, Take whatever you want, just leave. How crazy this had to sound to Moses. But this was no small God that was talking. This is the God who controls the orbit of Jupiter. This is the God who controls all things. And he can certainly change a person's heart as he sees fit. I wonder, Christian, are there any promises of God that you find unbelievable? Are there any promises of God that you just you have a hard time with? There's, there's something in this holy book that you find hard to trust. So when Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth, do you scoff? Yeah, right. When you read, there's going to be a day of resurrection in which every body that has ever died is going to be raised again. People who died at sea and... Gross stuff happened, and they have bits and pieces and fish, and and it's all going to come back together. And every person that ever died is going to stand resurrected on the day of judgment. How do you respond to that? Um, Okay. When you hear God's promise of a world with no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no death, do you raise your eyebrows with skepticism and think, yeah, right. Dear friends, the same God who kept this promise to Moses that seemed so insane at the time is the same God who has made these promises to you. Don't you doubt them? This is not a small God you are dealing with. Nothing is impossible with him. Nothing is too difficult for him. What you see as unbelievable, God sees as easy. 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 And so this passage sets before us a God who is sovereign, a God who is all-knowing, a God who is all-powerful. How will you respond to him? How will you respond to his message to you? The elders respond with faith. Pharaoh responds with rejection. Which path are you following right now when it comes to the promises of God? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I would urge you to trust the Word of God. As you do so, you will find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will prove Himself faithful. Let's pray together. Let's pray.